0: What's going on, ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I'm coming at you with another episode. This one is going to be a little bit different. I have Kai Furneau on, and she has got quite the story. She was vegetarian for 20 years. Obviously, that didn't work out 204, so she has since transitioned to more of a carnivore approach, but she has got like just a crazy life story. I mean, she was a stunt devil for years, I believe 16 years She's been on the Naked and Afraid TV show multiple times. She's just like awesome. I mean, some of the stuff she was talking about, like after we got the recording, we talked uh, even longer, and I mean, she's just gone out in the woods with three weeks at a time with a bow, hunted, killed her own food, lived off the land completely by herself for weeks at a time. I mean, just cool person with cool skills and just a lot to learn from. So sit back, relax, enjoy the podcast, enjoy the conversation, and just like, listen to what she's saying. Like, this is someone that's done cool things because she's wanted to. I mean, you literally only live life once, and she's living it on her terms, her way, every day, which is how we should all be living. So, hope you enjoy. Without further ado, Kai Furno. And we're live. Furno, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I am doing wonderfully well, wonderfully well. So, we got introduced. I forget how we got introduced. It was just an email intro about getting you on the podcast. And I started diving into a little bit of your, you know, social platforms, Instagram, whatnot. And you've got a pretty interesting lifestyle by the looks of it. So I kind of want to just dive in and kind of flesh that out because you've, you've been on the the Naked and Afraid show. You're carnivore. I mean, you're shooting bow and arrows. I'm all into archery as well. I feel like you've got a pretty exciting life from the look of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, do, I certainly do try to keep it exciting and varied and have as many adventures as possible. And I just am lucky that I don't have a full-time job that sort of absorbs most of my time. So <laughs> I, can, I can get away with that sort of lifestyle.
0: Because you primarily, for work, you're doing the, uh, like, you're a stunt devil, right?
1: Um, I used to be. Yeah. So 16 years of being a stunt performer and I still would love to get back into it. But about four years ago, I tore my hamstring completely off and had to have it screwed back on again. So um, I fought my way back to a level of health. But then I had to have another operation about nine weeks ago where they had to sort of redo that whole operation. So, you know, the aim would be to get back to the stage. I could do stunts if I wanted to, but at this stage, um, still in the recovery zone.
0: How did you tear your hamstring originally? Was it doing stunts?
1: Yeah, so I was just running across a rooftop and, you know, going from running to hopping in about two seconds flat. And you're like, what the hell just happened? And then me being me, like I had 10 hours of a fight sequence to film. So, you know, everyone comes over and what do you you need? I'm like, we we need to do this fight sequence now. So I did 10 hours on one leg and then, um, you know, went to the doctor and he's like, well, you know, you've started to tear it, but you can't make it any worse. So if you can work on it, work on it. So I spent the next four months literally just tearing it off millimeter by millimeter until it finally came completely off. So (laughs) I was like, so I can make it worse. Okay, got it.
0: oh that sounds miserable i have like i've had a few really bad you know pulls like hamstring pulls but i never had a tear and to like keep working with it for four months that just seems miserable
1: well i mean i just had this idea in my head that i was irreplaceable which was hilarious because as soon as my hamstring fell off they just put the wig on somebody else you know so Mm -hmm. it's this this misguided idea that i'm the only one that can do that job and um you know, I mean, I'm the type of person that if I can keep going, I will. So, you know, if you ask me, can I go one more step forward? I'm like, absolutely. I just, I will try. So we just sort of worked around it with a lot of the fight sequences I was doing and be like, okay, well, no kicks with this leg and no twists with that. And and just worked around it.
0: What, What made you want to get into doing like the stunt work in the first place? Like, I don't know of anybody else that has that as a job description.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I had a car accident at 19 and was told I'd never be physically active again. I broke a bone down in the lumbar region of my back. And, you know, like these days, it's like a get up and walk it off type injury. But back in those days, it was brace and bed rest for three months and, um, you know, like in kind a of dire prediction for the future. Um, so I think... You know, when someone tells me no and, like, well, wow, you'll never be able to be physically active again, I sort of in my head went, I will show you. <laughs> I will be the most physically active I can be and the most craziest physical career I can find. And, you know, I mean, maybe more so to prove to myself that that wasn't going to be the diagnosis that defined me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I went straight into the outdoors as soon as I could um, from the accident and and became a rock climbing instructor. You know, rock climbing is one of the only sports other than swimming that works every single muscle in your body so I just um went straight into into something that extreme and um it eventually led me down the road to stunts
0: rock climb I've had a few people that rock climb on the podcast and that is a sport that I would love to get into because I feel like it's just such a like it it requires so much agility and flexibility but so much like mental focus and fortitude I mean you have to be just in the moment and totally present especially if you're doing it all like freehand without ropes and whatnot
1: yeah absolutely i mean even if you are doing it with ropes like the stuff that i used to do was lead climbing so you're literally on the pointy end of the rope and you're going up and you're placing bits of gear in the rock and then attaching the rope to it and that becomes your your anchor should you fall so i mean my mum used to always say to me like i think you should meditate and i would really feel like um you know being so being the present that i needed to be present to climb was a meditation you know you can't be anywhere else but in the moment and there was you know that completely misguided perception that being super strong upper body and you know that sort of thing was beneficial to rock climbing but that's not it at all you know the more agile and flexible and the more you can use your feet to push yourself up the climb I mean strength does help but some of the best climbers in the world are the stringiest little humans so
0: (laughs) that's a good point though like you're absolutely right you can't really be anywhere else but in the moment when you're doing that I mean there's a few things not many but there's a few things where like you have to be in the moment to just simply do the task and I feel like having that as an outlet for people's mind is is Important.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, like as I'm a very active person, so there are very few times where I sit still and and are able to even do that sort of meditation. So for me it was just the moments in my life that gave me absolute clarity.
0: And what was after the rock climbing?
1: Um, so I was a rock climbing, kayaking, sailing instructor, you know, just in the outdoors in general and did everything from team building and leadership programs to juvenile offenders and school kids and stuff. And then like on a school camp one day, I was just playing a game with a bunch of kids and one of the kids, I wish I knew who he was, just turned to me and was like, you know what, you should be a stunt performer. And I don't even remember, like I remember the moment but I don't even remember the process between and suddenly I'm in Canada, you know, because I know it's Hollywood North and I know they're doing lots of productions up there. And and it, it was just like this really strange gap in my memory between a kid just saying that to me and then suddenly going, right, that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to leave my own country and I'm going to go to a place where I know nobody and I'm going to try and, you know, try and work in an industry where I have no transferable skills whatsoever. So it was um, an interesting transition into it. And, you know, I mean, I like before my car accident, I'd never trained a day in my life. Like I was a very, I would say, a very average little kids you know like I never won trophies I, I mean if I did it was that one well you know she really tried hard but she just you know she was there <laughs> you know it was like the participation trophies and I don't think I went to a gym to work out until after the the car accident so going from you know just coasting along to to really being in an industry where physicality and not only how agile or good you are at a job physically but you know i mean we're also trying to match actresses bodies so you have this um you know and it was that time when actresses were getting so so skinny Mm -hmm. um and that was the you know like we've gone into a nice little curvy trend now which is more the normalizing of of the human body but back then you know they were on the coffee and cigarettes diet so um they could they could afford to be very tired and have their hair falling out and their skin looking sallow, but if I was in that position, I had to be strong enough that if you threw me down a flight of stairs, I wasn't going to break. So it was really that moment in time when I started to realise how important sort of health and physicality was
0: that's an interesting point because I, I feel like I've started to see this change in the trends with, you know, the actors, actresses and just you know, that industry, but for a while there that that's absolutely right. It was that's, that was just a look that people were were wanting to see and it was like totally the opposite of what was embodied in health. But I I never would have guessed, you know, you being as a stunt performer doing that and trying to emulate that look for the actress you're trying to play the role of, I mean, you don't want to be in a incredible caloric deficit and just depleted and doing all these crazy stunts.
1: Right, and that was the expectation because seriously, like some of my auditions were, okay, walk into the room and turn around, you know, because most of what the camera is going to see is my butt, you know, and me from behind. So, um you know, and I was a rock climbing and freaking backpacking guide. So I had legs the size of tree trunks because sometimes my packs that I'd have to carry on these guiding trips were like 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was probably going into this about 160 pounds. And at my height, the actresses were about 115 pounds. So, um, you know, if you're 5'8", you're expected to be around the one twenty one twenty five 25 mark.
0: Why do you think that that shift has occurred lately, whereas whereas I feel like people don't really, you know, I mean, like you look at like Target, for instance. I mean, Target's got, you know, all these plus size models and they're trying to, you know, move towards more of a a healthier just overall look, uh, you know, not being just incredibly, incredibly thin. Like, what do you think spurred that on?
1: Um... Gosh, you know, I mean, I think women just got sick of starving <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day and and people with influence put their foot down, you know. I mean, to be honest, I still think there's a trend among actresses to be skinnier and photoshopped and unblemished, you know. I mean, you still you still get that. I mean, maybe the Kardashians were partly responsible for that because they certainly embraced their curves, you know. I mean, I... I'm not um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think, I think it's just one of those things that historically we all go through these phases, you know, like Marilyn Monroe was the sex symbol of her day and she was voluptuous, you know, and so I don't know whether just historically we go through phases and we've just moved into a phase where curvy is the way to go or it's, we're just hyper aware of how much healthier it is and, and, you know, a fit body is more celebrated. Like, what can you do with that body is more celebrated than what does it look like?
0: Yeah, for sure. What What do you think? I mean, when you were doing this, what was the – because you, you weren't really doing the carnivore back then, right?
1: I was vegetarian for 20 years. So this is the beauty of what I love about this carnivore thing. So I had um, hemochromatosis, so I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like a genetic disorder where doctors diagnose you and they say, well, look, you take too much iron out of your food. And I and so you either need to donate blood two or three times a week or you need to be vegetarian Um, And I got diagnosed with that at about 20, so very young. Like normally hemochromatosis rears its head in your 40s. Um, And so doctors were like, right, this is the way. And I was like, well, I'm not going to donate blood every, you know, twice a week. I'm going to just eat vegetarian. So I was a vegetarian for 20 years. Um, So I was vegetarian all through the stunt industry. And I, um, yeah, and I got to the stage after s- stunts and after this injury, but I just realized that my bloods were out of control. Like my iron was just so high, even though I never ate meat. And um, there were all sort of other indicators, super high cholesterol. And I was a good vegetarian. Like I didn't do breads. Like I was gluten free and, and you know, so it wasn't even breads and pastas and things like that. I was just purely eating a vegetable diet. Um, and suddenly like, and, you know, I was turning orange and I was just really tired all the time. And then I heard like a podcast where somebody said that they cured hemochromatosis through carnivore. And I literally went from no meat for 20 years to four lamb steaks the next day. Um, and I've never looked back.
0: I definitely have to dive into this a little bit more. So when you were vegetarian for 20 years, like, did you notice any, profound benefit from that? Like did you get any, you know, ad- advantage at all by doing that or did you notice like your your health and kind of dexterity and just overall well-being kind of, you know, go in the wayside during those 20 years?
1: Well, see, I couldn't tell you because I was a stunt performer, so I just hurt for 16 years straight. You know, so that was my normal. And I could have sworn that was just from doing stunts like I couldn't remember a day I got out of bed where I was like yeah I feel really great and looking back on that now it was being vegetarian and trying to do stunts that led to that so I have these two really incredible benchmark experiments for me and one of them is the first naked and afraid I did um, like I was vegetarian going in I had to eat meat out there and then I was vegetarian coming out and it took me three years to recover from the 21 days I spent out there. Yeah. Um, I tore muscles constantly trying to, you know, trying to get back into shape. I, like any time I tried to do any physical activity, I'd just like like pop a muscle. It was ridiculous. I had hormonal issues, like intense hormonal issues for at least three months Plus, then I had metabolic issues for probably three years it took before I could eat something and not get fat. And um, and I was tired. I was exhausted. Like it took me so long to recover from that first naked and afraid. And then six years later, I do a very similar naked and afraid in that it's 21 days. I lose 30 pounds, which is exact same as the other one. But I'm six years older, so it should have a greater impact on my body. But I go in carnivore. I only really – meet out there. And then I come out carnivore and I was training two days later and I didn't have any hormonal issues and I didn't have – and I have not had any metabolic issues at all. So I feel like I had this benchmark to see how my body was going to respond as a vegetarian and how it responded as carnivore.
0: So when you were going in for the first one, you were vegetarian going in and then you ate meat when you were out there, but – you weren't like adapted, like that wasn't enough time to really get keto adapted or like leverage, you know, ketones for fuel while you're out there filming that. So it wasn't really a, a fair gauge as to how that meat did affect you. And then it took three, three years, you said, post that first uh, series to recover.
1: Yes. And I mean, I did have a gauge out there in that I ate this like nutria, which is this beaver rat combination, and my body just absorbed the nutrients like I could feel it impacting me in a heartbeat. And that was one of the things that kept me curious about maybe trying meat again. I was like, you could feel it. And I didn't know if it's just that I hadn't eaten much out there or whether that was actually what the protein was going to do for my body. But, um, I definitely felt a huge change when I ate that animal. Um, but you know, it just sort of stayed in my memory more than making me create any change then.
0: So I've heard of the Naked and Afraid show, obviously, but I've not honestly watched it myself. Can you kind of dive into what that all entails?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm a survivalist, so sort of being outdoors is my passion. So basically, Discovery approached me in season one of this new show concept they had, and they were like, okay, so we're going to drop people out in the outdoors um, for 21 days with just one personal item and you go out as a couple so there'll be two items out there with you and you've got to try and last 21 days wherever we put you. So 21 days is sort of the um, assumption of how long you can last without food and um, So if you're absolutely unsuccessful out there, you should be still alive in that 21-day period. But So you you meet your partner out there for the first time when you both reach a designated meeting point naked. So very awkward, very crazy-sounding show, but what it really does is it showcases how amazing humanity is when put under pressure.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Like, so let's let's dive in here and talk a little bit about the mindset and the obstacles. Like, what were some things that you experienced out there in the in the wilderness that you didn't expect and like how'd you handle it? What was the biggest obstacle?
1: Um, the biggest obstacle for me was perhaps my partner's mindset. He um was very negative. And I know that they probably put us together for that reason. You know, they do tend to try and put opposites in there to create a bit of human drama, which is crazy because the environment's drama enough, but um you know for me I'd always had this set of beliefs about my mindset and it was brilliant to actually see how well it worked in the most extreme set of circumstances um I my the thing I was most proud of in that first one is I don't change like the person that I am when I'm full and well rested and and you know clothed and comfortable is the exact same person as when I'm haven't slept for 20 days and I'm starving and I'm, you know, dirty and naked and a swamp with a stranger. So I'm like the same person in both cases. So I was pretty proud of that because I do believe you can pretend to be someone else until you get put in those extremes. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, the mindset was definitely the most important thing, you know, like I forbid my partner from talking about food, you know, because I didn't want to focus on things we couldn't change You know, so a lot of people go out there and they're like, oh, I want a steak, I want this, I want that. You know, and it's like this constant fantasizing about the things that you cannot have. And um, like to me that just creates an environment where you're continually longing for the impossible
0: Mm -hmm.
1: rather than just focusing on the things that are there and the things you do have.
0: So you can can hunt and fish and and do whatever at your disposal to – make the most of your time out there, right?
1: A 100%. But the thing is that, you know, they have to put you on areas of land that are private um, just due to the hunting laws in every country. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you generally tend to be in places where there aren't as many animals as we like to think they are. And then, of course, you've got a film crew following you around and as soon as humans move into an area, animals do move out. Um, and then there's the how do you catch an animal? You know, like unless you're proficient with traps and snares, and then you know, perhaps you, you've brought fishing line and hooks as one of your two items. You know, I mean, there's all these things that definitely, if you are living a hunter-gatherer lifestyle ten thousand years ago, these would be things that were passed down through generations. You know, you would have made, you would have made a set of fish hooks that your family use constantly or you just had the fish hook maker in your clan you know and that would be something that they would just do so there's a lot of skills that need to come together to be able to procure food in the first place but um yeah some people are amazing at it and some people have just gone camping and their best tool has been the can opener so you just never know who's going to be put out there and, and what experience they've had at the end of the day
0: what was what was your item what was your partner's chosen item
1: um so what you do is you tell production four items that you would take into a survival scenario like this and then they choose one for you so um we were in the swamp um in one of the wettest mazes on record for louisiana and so i got given a fire starter um which just makes it a little bit easier in that environment. And my partner had a knife. So you're always going to look at a blade of some sort. So if anyone asks you, you know, you can bring one item into a survival situation. The first thing you're going to say is a blade. Mm -hmm. Um, Because with that, you can make a fire starting kit. You know, you can make a shelter. You can just everything else you need to procure is a million times easier with a knife.
0: I like it. I like it. So that first time you said you ate a, uh, what was it that you ate? A nutria. Nutria, okay. So, yeah, if anybody doesn't know what that looks like, they ought to Google it because it's basically a big rat. So how, Yeah, it is. It was how, so how did
1: delicious. Get, how did you get had, the nutria? It was like white meat and tasted like chicken. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> how
0: did how did you acquire the nutria? Did you just snare him or what did you do?
1: Um, I saw some tracks going into a log, um, from the water and I didn't quite know what it was, but I knew that something had just recently come out of the water and hidden in this log. So I just blocked off one end of the log and stabbed a spear down the other.
0: Hey, it sounds efficient. Uh, yes. and, and you were a vegan for like 16 years up to the point of eating that nutrient.
1: Yes. And it's so funny because like, of course, the way that reality TV gets edited together, they have me like crying, on tv and they're like they're vegetarians crying because they're killing the nutria but the reality of it was that nutria was crying like a baby like and the sound of it was so heart-wrenching that i was going like we need to kill this really quickly <laughs> <laughs> so, it wasn't wasn't quite how it was represented but you know what can you say
0: so when you were eating this thing, I mean, did you just, did you have like any remorse whatsoever or was it just so satisfying that you were so hungry that it was like worth every bite?
1: Oh, I no remorse, you know, like, so, so this has been the most interesting thing for me on this journey. When, when you say you do archery, like you do bow hunting, do you, or mm-hmm. Yep. yeah, so, um, like I've always wondered how I would feel because I don't step on ants. I carry spiders out of the house. Like I don't kill anything without a purpose, you know. Um, And I always wondered how it would feel when my arrow went through an animal for the first time Mm -hmm. Um, because you see pictures on Instagram of people touching the animal and, like, thank you for, you know, like thank you for the life that you've given and tears in their eyes. And I was like... God, like, is it going to be really hard for me to do this? Am I going to shoot? I was going after goats, right? And I'm like, am I going to shoot this goat and immediately regret it? Mm-hmm. And, and it took me a long time to come to terms with how right it felt in that moment. Um, like, you know, I, it wasn't like, God, I killed something. But it was like such a primitive feeling of supplying my own meat for my body that the rightness of it was just really intense feeling for me.
0: I feel like that has to be so much more amplified when you're alone in the middle of nowhere with no clothes, no belongings, and you're just starving. Like I bet it, it, it can't feel more right than in that situation.
1: Right, and I mean, I wish I found a goat in those situations because I would have been set for the 21 days <laughs> but in those situations. Um, like the last show that I did, I was really just finding freaking grasshoppers and firefly maggots, <laughs> and there That's was good. no remorse there.
0: Yeah, no remorse. So so going into it the second time, you were a carnivore. How, how long had you been carnivore up to that point?
1: Um, so I did, I've done three of these crazy shows. Um, I did a shark week special in the Bahamas and I had been carnivore for about three months going into that one. Um, and see, that was just a two week one. So I went in carnivore and I was trying to put on weight, you know, like to go in there, but this was my first experience with the sort of the more keto carnivore lifestyle and the more fat I ate the skinnier I got mm-hmm. and I was just like ah! and I just like eat more fat and I just get skinnier and skinnier like I got ripped so I went into the shark week one and I only lost like three pounds in two weeks and I just sort of walked in and walked out the other end and and you know I like I didn't know if it was just the length of time I was out there or this new diet that had changed it mm-hmm. but um, by the time I did the the last one i did so it was a new concept and they put you out into the location alone so it's called naked and afraid alone so i had 21 days in the amazon by myself and um you know i did lose 10 kilograms out there um so it was you know it was almost an exact exact sort of almost location as well with the cold that Louisiana was. So same days, same location, and same loss of weight. And I was carnivore for a year and a half before I went into that one.
0: Do you feel like you were like able to just sustain not eating much, much easier? Like you could fast for longer periods of time without any adverse effects?
1: I've never thought about it like that um, because it's not a choice. <laughs> out there you just you just don't find food sometimes um but whatever happened like and on a sort of uh woo woo level I didn't know if it was just the pure energy of the Amazon out there that was sustaining me but now you're saying it it probably could have just been going in (laughs) going in carnivore but I came out of the Amazon with so much energy even though I'd eaten nothing out there
0: that's awesome. What about your like mental clarity? Did you feel like you were pretty sharp the whole time?
1: The whole time, absolutely. Like I never had fuzzy days. Um, every day I got up and and like my camera crew, you know, I'd be like, "Oh, sorry, I only did like six hours of stuff today." And my camera crew were like, "Most people we have out here are lie, lie down all day." Mm-hmm. And every day I was going, "What can I do today to make the situation better?" And because I'm alone out there, I don't have anyone else I can. Like, show, like hand the load to. So I'm going, um, you know, I'm getting up in the morning and I'm having to collect water and boil water and it was wet season so it was really hard to get enough wood to even light a fire and so I had, I was chopping wood with my machete like four hours a day and then every day I had to add to my shelter because the leaves would wilt and it was monsoon season. So that's like just having a bucket of water dumped on your head for Ten hours straight. So, every day it was like work on the shelter, um, and I had to gather this sap that helped keep the mosquitoes at bay because the mosquitoes were so bad. So I had all these jobs, and every day I had energy to get up and do it. And not one day was I like, oh, "I don't want to do it today." You know what I mean? And I, it's seriously, I don't know if it's because nobody else would do it if I didn't. But then I feel like if you don't have the energy, you don't have the energy. And I definitely had the energy to sustain it.
0: Yeah, I feel like. You know, so much of that probably stems from you being carnivore going into it. I feel like just having a good nutritional foundation at the onset that kind of carries you through is is just awesome. Plus, the fact that you're in the middle of the Amazon rainforest is pretty cool in itself. You know,
1: it was brilliant actually. Like everyone's like, "Were you scared?" I'm like, "Oh my god, I could have stayed there for 21 more days." You know the whole the whole thing about the alone concept was how you break down mentally when you have no one with you and of every day like so I was alone 16 hours and I had like a single female camera lady who would come in and film for eight right and every time she'd come in and she's like Are you, you know you're upset about being alone do you miss anyone yet and I'm like no I love it <laughs> I'm like, a, I'm like a good, it just didn't bother me in the slightest I just felt so at home in there it was really bizarre
0: what is it like having a camera crew out there because I mean any type of You know, show, reality TV, like anything, like I feel like it would be very hard to capture the true reality having a camera crew out there because it just adds this layer of complexity. But did they do a pretty good job of like just staying out of your way and documenting everything you were doing?
1: Yeah, so they don't talk to you. Like, you know, I mean, the lady's interviewing you at times, which is why, I mean, the lady interviewed me at times, which is why they're like, you know, are you lonely? But they don't talk to you other than that and they don't acknowledge you like and they'll walk in and they won't smile at you or say good morning or, you know, so you do, they do, they don't eat in front of you. They don't, you know, so you just, you definitely feel like they're not a way out or a psychological advantage having them there. The only thing is like they can be a bit noisy when you're trying to hunt. Mm. Um yeah so they do a good job of keeping that sort of third wall up um of course it's a little bit of a safety thing in that i never felt like they were just going to let me die if they were there Yeah, um, but they do a pretty good job of it all things considered
0: that's pretty cool that's pretty cool i feel like that is just such a an interesting concept i mean you know 100 100 couple hundred years ago that would not have been a, a rare occurrence. Like people would have been out in the middle of nowhere fending for themselves on a regular basis. Whereas you just don't really see that so much now, especially in, you know, America. Um Right. So to like and to I mean, create a sorry. show that really forces that upon somebody. that's it, a pretty cool concept when you stop and think about it. Like just see how people react in those bleak situations. I mean that's that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and, and everyone focuses on the nudity, you know, and then that's And then, you know, people don't watch it, even people either watch it or not watch it because of the title of it. But at the end of the day, um, like it's not about that. What the nudity has done is taken the last protective layer away from you Um, and people underestimate how much protection a simple layer of clothing can offer in a survival situation, Um, you know, even just shoes. You know, if you'd held out underwear or shoes, I would have chosen the shoes.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, it just takes you to this next level of vulnerability. And, um, you know, I mean, I always wanted to know if I could survive with nothing. Like, I, you know, some kids are planning weddings when they're growing up and I'm like planning my Swiss family Robinson guest house in the <laughs> a deserted
0: islands. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> So when a TV show comes and is like, ah, do you want to try this out? I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've always wanted to try that. Um, So it it is a good concept if people can get past the name. And, you know, some people get out there with the absolute confidence and crumble and other people get out there and have nothing but a good attitude and can survive. So. I always liken it, you know, like grannies can wander off the path while they're out hiking and last for three months in the wilderness sitting there and someone finds them and they've got fatter, you know, and then an army dude wanders off the trail for a day and dies. You know, it's all about, it's all about your attitude will be the difference between you surviving or not. So it's, you know, a fascinating case study into that.
0: Yeah, I truly think it all goes back to mindset in any of those, you know, like challenging situations when it comes to just like specific technical skills. What is one technical skill? Like, if you had to, you know, go back out there without a camera crew, without anything, just like reality, like if you were forced back out there, what is one thing that you would make sure that you know how to do with, like, just flawless, repetitive certainty before going out?
1: I mean, a fire is always the one thing that you would want to make sure that you can do flawlessly. Um, <sighs> thing is that you can be the best fire maker in the world and if you don't have the right materials around you like like you could be the best friction fire person in the world you would not get a friction fire in the amazon um but if you can fire is definitely life out there you know it means you can cook your food so you don't get parasites it means that you can be safe and warm at night you know like hypothermia is going to kill you quicker than dehydration and lack of food Um, you could last three days without water. You're going to die overnight if you get too cold. So, you know, fire making would definitely be on the top of my list of making sure I'm proficient at, but you know, I mean, it's all for me, the key sort of skill is being able to look at what's around me and see it in terms of how that can be a resource to me.
0: What were you using to make fire out in the Amazon, not the friction method?
1: No, I had a ferro rod. So, you know, most people call them flint and steel, but that's not what they are. Um, But it's technically a magnesium compound rod that you just spark or like some steel off of and you can get a spark. Mm -hmm. But even then, you know, like people (laughs) carry those things with them and they're like, oh, I've got fire. And I'm like, well, you don't, you have a spark. Um, So then you need to be able to get a tinder bundle which isn't the dating app bundle (laughs) it's like tinder like you got to get some dry enough materials and put them together in such a way that a tiny spark will then be able to become a flame within it so both those are like people focus on how to make a fire but it's equally as important as what you do with that spark or coal after you've created it to then be able to make fire
0: And then for the shelter, you said you were making just a lean-to with plenty of palm leaves over top?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm always going to go for um, a lean-to. Like, people choose A-frames, but I'm always going to go for a lean-to that you can then put a reflector fire in front of. Um, Mm -hmm. And in this case, I had a little fire underneath the shelter. Um, And I did a more traditional shelter that the Amazonian hunters use, which is called a sort of squirrel tail shelter. So you plant, like the stalk end of the palm into the ground and then have the bushy end sort of arcing over your head like a squirrel tail Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: and that was the, through experimentation you know I got very wet, I got hypothermia a couple of times um, got very sick but through experimenting that was definitely the method that worked best for me out there.
0: What about like electrolytes? I mean because you're not taking salt or anything with you so how are you kind of keeping your electrolytes in check? Just from the water and, and, and dirt you're probably consuming by default?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was funny because in the Amazon, I don't think it's electrolytes, but um, there was a the magnesium tree. Mm-hmm. And so every morning I'd go and like cut into this magnesium tree and collect the sap on a leaf and lick it. And to this day, I think that's one of the reasons I got through it as well, just being able to get some magnesium into my body.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but I bet the, the bug bites were just killing you.
1: Yeah I mean it was a lot of ants so that was um, I managed to find a way to get the mosquitoes fairly under control but if you ever see the alone episode it's crazy there's just thousands of them coming into my shelter in the morning and night and then ants just everywhere but like I had this thing in the back of my head that ash would keep ants away so I cleared all of the leaf litter away from the from the ground of my shelter and then i'd just put a like a, my shelter was a triangle and i would just put a triangle of ash around and sleep or sit within that and for some reason the ants never came across it
0: huh. i didn't know that i guess it's just like the the lie or something maybe in the ash that they don't like. well
1: that that's exactly what i figured too and um but you know like i'd be outside my shelter setting a snare or something and disturbed fire ants and it was just like it was like having electric shocks go through your body as they were biting you on mass. And then there'd be like ticks, the little ticks out there and, and a bullet ant, which if you got bit by them, it's like getting shot and then punched in the bullet wound. Like it was just like, it was just, it was, yeah, I got a bit bit up out there. If I didn't have like six things crawling on me at once I, at like any given moment, it, it there was something wrong.
0: <laughs> it's funny. Cause you know, I'm, I camp a lot. I'm out in the woods hunting a lot. Like I, I love just traipsing through the wilderness. But like people that don't ever do that, I mean, what you just described is the farthest thing from anything they would ever choose to desire willingly. And it's crazy because all that sounds just terrible. Like who wants to have ants and everything crawling on them? But when you're out there and you're like seeing the beauty of it, you're like in this pristine environment, and you're just like up against the odds. Like there's so much freedom in that, and. There's no other way to get that. Like you have to do it in order to get that.
1: Right. And it's that ability to adapt and overcome that creates – a life-changing experience or an adventure that you remember. You know, like I always I always say, you know, you could be out there and it would be the sunniest weather and you're like, oh, yeah, that was a nice five days. But if you fought the elements and you battled and you got lost and you slept in the dirt, like those are the stories that you tell your grandkids, you know, like they're the ones where you're like, yeah, but like I made it and I overcame all of this, you know, it's like those are the memorable times I think.
0: Totally, and then when it's over, and you go back to you know reality and you like take a hot shower and you have a hot meal, it's like it it never felt so good or tasted so so perfect I mean, like you just appreciate the finer things so much more,
1: oh one hundred percent, yeah, but I mean then part of me longs to go back again. You know, I kind of, I've never had a child, but you know how people keep having them, even though they say it's the worst experience they've ever done. I kind of liken it to that sometimes, you know, like you do a mountaineering expedition, you've been so cold the whole time and you're like, I'm never doing that again. And then two months later, you're planning
0: another one. I know. I love it. I love it. You're getting me psyched up to go back out in the woods i got a ways to go for hunting season fires back up though so
1: <laughs> yeah see we're lucky in australia we don't have seasons so we can just go out anytime it's awesome
0: yeah you've got uh, i mean kangaroos pretty much on the menu year-round right you can go hunting for those because they're in such abundance
1: no that's highly illegal to shoot our local flora oh. mean fauna of course, we not. don't want to shoot our flora, our local <laughs> fauna. Any uh, um, any Australian native animals are illegal to hunt. I did not know but that. But we have an abundance of feral pigs and goats and deer.
0: Okay, gotcha. Well, that's pretty good eating too.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact that we have no season on our deer is... Amazing. And the government have actually declared them a category three pest or something. So they're planning on just shooting them from helicopters and baiting them. So, you know, there's so much out there that you can go out and hunt anytime.
0: Is there any like issue with the the pigs and the deer getting, you know, parasites, chronic wasting disease because they're in such abundance and they're probably getting, you know, just way too much food that's going bad. They're getting some of these these diseases or have you not seen that?
1: Um, certainly the pigs, but not the deer. Gotcha. So, um, you know, I mean, I don't know, I've got like such a bad mindset. I'm like, you know what, if you cook it well enough, it will
0: be fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: but, but you do have to, you know, the the feral pigs up north generally are feeding on carcasses. So, you know, that you are what you eat, the mm-hmm. meat just doesn't taste as nice as sort of down south with the pigs, but That's sort of, yeah, the deer seem to be pretty good regardless. See, the kangaroos, they get worms. I mean, farmers can get licenses to shoot kangaroos, but a lot of the wild kangaroos are pretty wormy flesh.
0: Mm. Probably especially in the summertime.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it is in abundance, and I do just lament the fact that we can't do it. You know, like the emus, there's a huge plague of emus at the moment, and it'd be great to knock a few of those over. You know, you'd have... Incredible meat for a month with one emu.
0: Yeah, that's it's not cool. All these rules and regulations, but I guess there's some reason they've got them enforced. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> um. Well, what what's next on the horizon for you?
1: Well, actually, I did want to say like because we talked a lot about the survival stuff, but the other. The other um, experiment I did sort of unconsciously on myself was this operation with my leg for the carnivore stuff, you know. So the first operation I had where they put the screws in my hamstring, um, I was in a wheelchair for eight weeks and then on crutches and in an a brace for maybe another two months after that. And I had the exact same operation nine weeks ago and I was off crutches within two weeks.
0: So you're just healing and recovering exponentially faster to your are carnivore instead of vegetarian.
1: A hundred percent. So like people sort of say, well, what's the science behind it? And I'm like, I don't know. But I can tell you two huge moments in my life that you can't, that nothing else changed except for my diet. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and to me, personally, you can't get more proof than that.
0: So, like, what's a typical day of eating look like for you now?
1: Um, Typical day, I usually sort of have some kind of meat and eggs for breakfast. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not like the, I I don't do the fasting window at the moment, just because that's the one thing that they could that afraid did sort of mess up for me. Is like if I start to not eat, then my body does panic a little bit. but I'd sort of just do some bacon and eggs or steak and eggs and then, I don't know, around 11 and then might have like a little snack of cold meat around 3 and then at about 5 I'll slam down some steaks or some ground beef or ground lamb or brains. Sometimes I'll mix some brains in and some organ meat with that and that's really my day eating.
0: So you're doing like a pretty strict carnivore, you're not really introducing anything that is not totally meat based, right?
1: Um, it's meat or animal fats or animal products.
0: Nice, nice. Do you ever mm. eat like a lot of suet? What's that? It's like uh well here in the States we have like beef suet that comes from you know, like around the kidneys, but it's like a specific type of fat that you typically eat uh that's it's not rendered, so it's basically got all the nutrients within it. Um whereas like if you cook, you know, like tallow for instance is gonna have lost some of the nutrients because you've cooked a lot of it out whereas suet's just pure uh, and perfect. Um, But I I just ordered this big five-pound bucket of that. I'm going to start adding the suet to my nutrition because I feel like, I mean, from a nutrient standpoint, it's like one ounce is like 24 grams of fat and 0.4 grams of protein, so very high in fat. But I feel like that's a really good nutrient powerhouse.
1: Wow, I've never heard of it, but now I want some.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure you can get it there. Like if you find like a local butcher or something, Um, huh i'm sure they can they could hook you up
1: Mm. i do a lot of the bone broth Mm -hmm. um which i think had a lot to do with the healing and stuff as well but i've never heard of the suet so now i'm going to go to my butcher and ask they always think i'm a bit strange because i'm like that that chick that looks like she should be a hippie vegetarian coming in and asking do you have any (laughs) lamb's (laughs) brains?" they're like what are you gonna do with them i'm like yeah yeah, just cook them up and eat them
0: (laughs) that's awesome though like i I love I love stories that indicate that you're just so far counter to the norm. I mean, being normal is boring, but being like this crazy, you know, just radical extremist with some things is, is, is fun. It's exciting. It makes, it makes people look twice, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. Someone asked me the other day, you know, like, well, how, you know, what's the most biggest adverse effects you've had on your body from being carnivore? And I was like, well, That people think I'm really strange. (laughs) It's nothing really. I've not noticed any adverse health effects, but you know, you quite often have to defend your stance on it because it's a very, um, it's very anti politically correct at the moment to be eating your own meat, eating meat.
0: It is, but I definitely think the tides are turning. I mean, I think here in the states, at least, you know, keto was the hype, and now carnivore is the hype. Which I, I consider carnivore just a subset of keto. I mean, they're more than the saying. the fact that you're still likely in ketosis when you're eating carnivore. Um, and I feel like Australia and New Zealand, like that area is probably you know right behind the states when it comes to adopting these ways of eating. I think maybe I don't know UK or Canada probably is next, but I feel like can carnivore is definitely gaining in popularity here for sure
1: yeah i mean in in australia it's the vegan movement that's so huge you know like the whole game changes thing and and like i went into the you know the virgin lounge the other day and there were no meat options they're all just vegetarian and um you know like the vegetarian is being catered for way way more than any other dietary choices um so you know, universities are going vegetarian in their cafeterias. Like there's no meat choices at all. And I mean, that sort of terrifies me when I see choices being taken away from us. So I'm glad to hear that you feel like it's it's the tides turning in America.
0: There's just way too many people with, you know, just wildly successful stories with regard to how their health has improved. I mean, look at your hamstring recovery story as a case in point. I mean, there's just – so many people that have benefited so much from going more meat-based, having high-quality fats and proteins, and you just, I mean, you could definitely make a, a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle work, but it's just not going to be near as easy, near sustainable, near as enjoyable, and I certainly have no desire to go that direction, so I feel like there's enough people that are going to be strong on their desire to continue eating meat, and hopefully that kind of voices over just this massive movement to r- rid every you know public environment of meat altogether
1: yeah it's kind of um it's kind of interesting to see the way the trends are going with it I mean I I, I really hope you're right
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I think like I said I think Australia is probably behind the states a little bit when it comes to where the population is doing in regards to their nutritional choices but I mean here carnivore intermittent fasting keto are definitely popular i mean the game changers definitely had an effect here as well like that like, made some ripples for sure but i don't know i feel like the the meat movement is getting stronger
1: like i ran a school not a school camp but a camp with 40 girls the other day um teenage girls it was like a camp courage thing but there's probably 20 of those were vegetarians and, or vegans you know and it's just like why you know like i was i just spent a lot of time asking them why uh, why, why are you making that choice, you know? And a lot of it was, well, it's the animals. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, like the, the whole side effect of cropping, right? You know, to get your grains has higher death toll on the animals than if you just went out and shot a cow and ate that. You know, I'm just sort of presenting these different points of view. But it's sort of, there's not, there's so much misinformation out there at the moment that people are just sort of jumping on that bandwagon still. Totally. I, um had a really strange one the other day because i was going out to dinner and we're all just bringing a plate of food and um the host of the thing was like okay we've got a vegan and a vegetarian you know and someone who doesn't eat dairy so can you make your plate you know fit in with that and i was like well i just eat meat can you make your plates fit in with that and it was just like (laughs) this whole thing they're like uh, no, it's more important that the vegans and vegetarians get fed, and I was like, right, you know, like it's just this whole idea that their choices uh, are a stronger choice than mine because it's a more political choice to make. I don't know. It was very strange.
0: Yeah, it is. It is very odd how that plays out. But I think the best. I mean, honestly, the fact that you were vegetarian for twenty years and you noticed such drastic improvements when you started incorporating meat again i feel like that makes your argument so much stronger and if you if you just share that i mean you don't ever want to push somebody to follow up certain political guideline or nutritional guideline but if you just simply share your story and share your truth you know hopefully enough people see the benefit and then are at least curious enough to dive deeper and experiment for themselves
1: Mm, and like one of the common questions i get asked is well what supplements do you take i'm like none like, I don't even, I don't need to take any supplements. And then of course the next step is like, well, what about fiber? Like, doesn't red meat just clog you up? And I was like, as a vegetarian, I was taking so many supplements to get my digestive system working and I don't take anything as carnivore. Like it's just a huge, huge difference.
0: Yeah. I mean, everything's, be- <laughs> everything's better. I mean. There's no need for all the crazy supplements. You don't need the fiber. You feel better. You never get bloated. I mean, I could literally eat two and a half pounds of meat right now and then go run a marathon. Like, it (laughs) it doesn't have a negative effect on me at all, you know? Yeah. But
1: we just gotta keep sharing our truth. Yeah. And so when you were asking me sort of what's next, like this operation that I have, the doctors were like, well, you've got to take 12 to 16 months off. Um, before you'll be able to do anything. So I don't really plan much for this year because I was just going to be in recovery mode. And then I went to the doctor for the eight-week visit and he's like, yeah, you can start to run now. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I don't know. Just everything goes to the next level, really.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, shoot, that's liberating. You can start hustling on something next now.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm in America for a couple of months and I got some hunts planned and, you know, some things on the go and then just yeah back and forth to australia a bit so always got something on the go
0: you're in the states for hunting
1: um not specifically for hunting i had a gathering called winter strong that sort of sorenx equipment um put on just to to their goal is to combine the fitness hunting and outdoor community in sort of the one space so I had um, a gathering with them last weekend that I was really here for, and then, and then while I'm here, I'm just yeah going to take the bow out and see how I go.
0: And what what was that group again?
1: Um, the company is Sorenex. They um, they make weights and stuff um, initially, so they're a fitness based company, mm-hmm. um, but they're more like a movement. You know, they have this incredible um, ethics behind them that's creating a tribe of people that are just super fit and healthy sort of hunters, you know, it's that, um, trained for what you need your body for.
0: I love it. I feel like more people need to start gravitating that way, like figure out how you can improve your performance in life. What steps are needed to make that happen and then just optimize for those things. And then you'll be set.
1: Yeah. So do you know Cameron Haynes?
0: Mm hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah. So he's a he's sort of a part of the whole Sorenex outdoor movement and stuff like that. So they all they all hunt, they all eat. their are meat that they hunt, and they're all pretty much keto or carnivore. So it's like this interesting community of 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 people moving back to being part of tribe. You know?
0: Yeah, I think that's that's so huge. Like kind of going back to these these roots that we had you know hundreds of years ago that worked so well back then like let's let's kind of return to that to an extent for sure
1: Mm -hmm. and it's this great mindset you know I think when you begin to gather like-minded individuals together who are trying to prop each other up you get that like what can I do for you instead of what's in it for me mentality Mm -hmm. and that's sort of uh, uh, that's sort of the way I think everyone's going within that group of people anyway
0: 100% agree well, I'm excited. I'm excited to follow along. You definitely have to keep keep me posted on how it goes with the hunts and just everything in general. Like I said at the beginning, you're definitely one of the more interesting people I know. I mean, you're doing all kinds of crazy things at all times. So I'm excited to see what the next six months holds.
1: Yeah, I definitely. I like being open to being able to say yes. You know, like last year, my friend's like, "Hey, can you be in America next week?" And I'm like, "Uh huh, I can." <laughs> you know, it's like so. I I plan a little, and then I just keep myself open to whatever cool stuff comes along sp- spontaneously
0: well, that is that is definitely a better way to live than being bored and just having a regret for not putting yourself out there
1: yeah that's what i think too like saying like a lot of people don't say yes out of fear
0: mm-hmm.
1: of like what ifs and i just like Ah, you know what? If it does go bad, at least I know. Or like, what if it was the most amazing thing you ever did? So I'm yeah. like, I quite, I quite like the what ifs, but you know, only because they can be the coolest stuff you've ever done.
0: Hundred percent, totally. Well, cool, dear. Where can people go to follow you, find out more about you, and and just watch all the the what ifs unfold.
1: <laughs> um you can follow me or find me on insta twitter and facebook under kai for no, so it's like k y and then f-u-r-n-e-a-u-x is the last name so yeah any of those and and at any time anyone can hit me up and ask me questions or reach out i'm always open to you know helping out or chatting if if anything comes up
0: awesome well i will certainly link out to that and just keep Keep doing what you're doing. It's exciting. Keep recovering. Hopefully that will totally feel 100% in no time. Then you can just keep tackling the world.
1: Well, that's the exciting bit. You know, not once in four years when I was vegetarian did I feel like this injury healed well. And now I feel like nine weeks in, I'm like, God, this is going to be back to better than ever. And I'm excited to see moving forward what I can do without being so beat up and fragile from vegetarian stunt performing
0: (laughs) i'm telling you it's the fountain of youth i mean you you do that you have enough quality dietary fat and protein and you're literally just adding quality years to your life
1: i i can't agree more you know like i should with the stresses that i put my body under and the mental situations i'm in like i should be gray haired and wrinkled and i'm like my skin's never been clearer and softer and my hair is like I've got like maybe 10 gray hairs, which for 46 years old, I'm like, that's not bad. (laughs) I will eat my meat.
0: Well, hey, 46 is the new 23 if you're eating the right foods.
1: Uh, I could not agree more. Like I've seriously never felt stronger or healthier. And everyone's like, oh, it's all downhill after 30. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've never felt better.
0: (laughs) Well, I'd say you're doing a pretty good job of proving the naysayers wrong. So (laughs) keep doing that. Keep doing that.
1: Just ask me, I'll tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, awesome. Until next time, definitely keep keep doing what you're doing and we'll keep in touch for sure.
1: Yeah, lovely chatting with you. Take care. Okay, bye.